Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Yes, proudly holding the hastily obtained and incredibly talkative firearm named Kenny and launching an array of weird alien creatures into the air using the glob shot while hunting down Nine Torg, one of the members of the G3 cartel. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Joel J.B. Fury Beauchene, and with us this week, as always, are the DG crew, starting with the PC gamer, the Sultan of Steam. Unsure whether to spend his hard-earned money on an Asus ROG ally, Steam Deck, Aya Neo, or a Game Boy Advance. It's none other than <laughs> Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Welcome to the show, Fergus. Oh, JB, how are you, mate? Yeah, I reckon I could get a N64 and a Paper Mario for about the same price as an ally, I reckon. Absolutely. Yeah, they're uh, Money well spent. hot property these days. <laughs> also with us this week, the gaming chef, the Earl of Emotional Damage, on the verge of unlocking the Platinum Trophy... For Crocs World 2, it's Simon <laughs> Steely McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Steely. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard at all. I blinked and then it was done. <laughs> it was the easiest platinum trophy I've ever earned and I'm going to take it straight to Cashies <laughs> so I can buy a better game. I thought you were going to uh, take that one straight to the, to the pool, pool room, room yeah. mate. So uh, I know. Oh, I was my... thinking about it, but it doesn't deserve to go there. Like anybody wants fucking Crocs World <laughs> 2 playing a trophy in the pool room. You'd rather shit yourself to death. I think. <laughs> very good, very good. Finally with us, we've got the Nintendo Queen, Pistol Pisty Pete. The Pist. Master P. Barbecuing Koroks over an open flame shooting out of a robotic penis and then playing some Tears of the Kingdom in her spare time. It's Casey C. Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, C. Mac. Thanks, Joel. We've had a really good um, look at some of the Koroks this week, haven't we? Oh, pretty funny. What did we do with one this week? We um, I launched one on a rocket. Yeah, he just launched it off on a rocket and it just went into the sunset. Yeah. Oh, well. I put one on a plane as well. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, what what more class. could you want from uh, from a Nintendo Switch game, hey? And uh, right. be needlessly cruel to uh, uh, unprovoked creatures. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, this week to kick things off um, in news, at the latest underwhelming PlayStation showcase, Sony dropped details of a new handheld device known only as Project Q. So the handheld resembles a DualSense controller with an 8-inch LED display wedged in the middle. This arrangement resembles the backbone accessory uh, that's currently available uh, when you've got a phone installed in place. However, unlike the backbone, 
this device will have adaptive triggers and haptic feedback, uh, which unfortunately is lacking in the backbone. Uh, the device does appear to have some limitations, however, with it only being able to stream over Wi-Fi to your PS5 console, meaning you will need to be in the same room or at least the same sort of premises as your PS5 for it to work. With the Nintendo Switch retailing for around $469 Australian and the Steam Deck at around $535 Australian, uh, both of which are capable of functioning away from home on the go, it'll be interesting to see further information on this handheld device as it becomes available. But uh, what are we thinking off the back? If this device is only able to work over Wi-Fi, and effectively meaning you can only use it at home, do we see a market for it? Yeah, when no. you're doing a poo on the toilet. No, I'll tell you, there's well. a very similar... <laughs> Simon, that was funny. You just talked right over me. Far out. Didn't really find it funny. It's true, though. If you can only use it in your house... You don't with take your long play... to poo, so why would you take it? Yeah, you just play a quick Tetris game. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. But well, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, why, yeah. where else in the house would you need to play it at all? We just play on the TV. Riddle me this, everyone. There was a device that came out some years ago in 2011 that you could play your games streamed to your controller that Nintendo brought out that was a colossal failure called the Wii U. Now, tell me. <laughs> That did it seamlessly that you didn't have to stream over Wi-Fi. It just connected to the gamepad, you know, quite quickly and effectively. And you could do off the TV mode and all that kind of stuff with it. Why the fuck do I want this thing that is not going to run as well? Because it is streaming over Wi-Fi and it's not natively connected to it. It just seems like it's a, it's a bit of a mess waiting to happen. Put it in the bin, I say. <laughs> well, Put it in the bin. I think... I mean, I think there's a small, there's a market for it, be it a small market. Um, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that the whole Wi-Fi, let's just assume for argument's sake that it's going to work flawlessly what they're trying to do. My Switch, for example, I reckon I would use that predominantly maybe 80% of the time, either sitting on the couch or laying in bed. So for the same reason, I can see people potentially using this handheld to do something similar when you don't want to hog up the the tv you know someone might be wanting to watch their favorite tv show you can sit on the couch and stream to a handheld in your lap or while you're laying in bed so you this could do that now the thing will be is if if they want me to pay 300 dollars or something ridiculous for this thing then no thanks but if it's quite an affordable price i think you might be surprised that a few people might pick it up but again i'm with you steely it'll be dependent on how well they can get it to you know, I think stream because, via Wi-Fi. Yeah, I think it's because and... we play games together. We don't really, pl- you know, one of us doesn't just go and watch TV while the other one yeah. plays games. It's not like Casey sits there watching Love Island while we're playing God of yeah. War. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a company here who sell the PlayStation 5 DualSense Edge controller for... Three hundred and forty dollars yeah. Australian, virtually. It's going to cost a bomb. This thing. Three hundred and thirty-nine. <laughs> You'll be paying the same for this device, almost as what you're paying for the console itself. I, I predict. 
Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've just done a quick Google, and the first thing that pops up, and there's no, I don't know what the credibility of this article, but it says we'd estimate Project Q landing somewhere between 400 and 450 in Australia at a guess. That's Jeez. as much as a switch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the the switch when it's not on sale retails for around 469. So that's that's not the OLED model. That's mm. just the base model. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, what what represents better value for the player? A Nintendo Switch that can go anywhere or a Project Q controller that can only go home? As far as just strength of your Wi-Fi is in your house, which for some people, depending on where your router and stuff is, might not be unbelievable. So you're probably going to have to, like Casey says, you've got to be in close proximity of your bloody... Yeah, you're going to be sort of tethered in a way to your router for it to have a good connection i don't know i'm not really that interested but i think there may be a small market for it depending on how much it costs but at 450 that shrinks the market even more i would have thought yeah well yeah look if you're playing this thing on your toilet you might as well shove it up your ass while you're there <laughs> oh jeez okay yeah <laughs> emotional damage a little probably, bit a little probably. bit harsh from uh, steely yeah. there i, I mean all right fuck it <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, Project Q, you've got <laughs> no dick, no balls, and probably no butthole since this guy feeds on radiation. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. The verdict's, verdict's passed. Um, all right. Well, next we'll throw over to you, Ferg, for uh, little news that you've got going on. Uh, a little bit of news. So what I thought I'd do is there's been a few games come out in the last, uh, I don't know, couple of weeks since we did our last show. Some big games and some games that we've been following on the show for quite a while so what i thought i'd do is just do the review roundup let's see what the critics are saying i'll give you a bit of a snapshot into how they're faring in the uh, review uh, market so uh, i'll start with one of the bigger ones so lord of the rings golem now this is a game we've talked about a lot um i mean a very troubled road <laughs> traveled to release it was delayed multiple times you know that we talked about the controversy around the developer and the publisher charging more for a you know an extra was an elvish language you know stuff like this in the edition but anyway regardless of all those things may the 26th golem came out on pc playstation xbox and these reviews uh not good as in horrible, as in as bad as bad as they get. So here's a couple, just a couple snapshots. So Press Start gave this a 3 out of a 10 um, with their conclusion. I struggle to find a positive experience over the 13-odd hours I spent playing this game. Gollum is uninspired and dated, and the Lord of the Rings fans deserve better than this. Um, mm. So of the, the few limited positives, late game environments occasionally nice to look at. Gollum's voice acting is well done. Negatives, tedious, uninteresting gameplay, dull and lifeless environments, inconsequential story, lack of polish in controls and mechanics. Uh, the Guardian, one out of five. The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings Gollum review. Boil it, mash it, stick it in the bin. A derivative, <laughs> uninteresting, and fundamentally broken stealth action game that fails to capture anything interesting about Tolkien's fiction. Oh, shit. Um, and IGN gave it a four. It's one of the better reviews. Oh. A four out of a ten. Um, they summed it up by saying, The Lord of the Rings Gollum trades the solid action of pride games in the universe for busy work, uninspired, and frustrating platforming and bad stealth. It's not, clue it's not clear who this is for or what it intended to achieve. 
What is clear is that it's not fun to play and not something we to recommend to anyone but the most curious and de- dedicated Lord of the Rings fans. So, um, the ball's hardened. Exactly. So currently on Metacritic, the PlayStation Five uh, Metacritic score is thirty-five out of a hundred, with Fuck. a user score of one point two. Oh boy! Wow. Uh, the PC is thirty-nine, slightly better, and a slightly better user score of. 2.5 um <laughs> and i think probably what's been most entertaining is just some of the headlines and some of the puns that are kicking around on some of the reviews so i just thought i'd share some of these funny ones as well so mm, lord of the rings Gollum review we don't wants it we don't needs it um <laughs> <coughs> Gollum reviews are in and oh god oh no the lord of the rings Gollum review uninspired drudgery um what else we got the lord of the rings Gollum review i hates it uh, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings Gollum. I wasted 12 hours reviewing this. The Lord of the Rings Gollum was too broken to review on P- PS5. Um, the Lord of the Rings Gollum review. Many that live deserve death. Um, yeah, and Lord of the Rings Gollum. There's nothing precious about this. So, <laughs> so you could sort of say the um, yeah, this Gollum video game has got. Most of us wondering, you know, what kind of pipe weed were these developers uh, smoking, you know? Yes. Nazgul, more like Nazgud. <laughs> am I right? Well. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the critics were less impressed with this game than Gandalf was with Pippin when he uh, knocked that skeleton down the well in the mines of Moria and alerted the alts and the Balrog, which ultimately led to Gandalf's death. You know, I mean, this game's got more holes in it when, than when Boromir was shot to pieces by alts in Fellowship of the Ring. Wow, you've. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> I think we could probably need to go and cast this game into the uh, fires of Mount Doom. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. <laughs> it would seem that uh, right. one does not simply make a half competent video game these days. So <laughs> yes, there it is. Um, and so the the developer came out and released a uh, you know an apology. I'm not going to read it because it's you know in line with what we've seen out of pretty much any publisher and developer that's released a game in the last six months that's bombed it's just oh we're sorry we're disappointed we'll do better and uh, it's probably a little bit too late so overall Gollum horrific scores Um, and I mean I can't think you know this is not a small indie game we've talked about games we've got a new um, novelty segment where we sort of you know exploring some of the worst games that are in existence but you know Lord of the Rings this is a huge franchise you know, this had a lot of, you know, hype around it, a lot of buzz, you know, significant amount of resources to go on this game. And to get a average score of 35 in the Metacritic, like, I can't think of a game. Is that even lower than Redfall? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember what Redfall was, but I can't think of a game that's had this bad reviews that hasn't been a very small indie game that has, you know... Yeah, can anyone think of any game in existence that's been this poorly reviewed on release? I can't think of any. I'd have to scratch my head. I think, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog 06 was probably up there, but even that has some redeemable qualities about it. I mean, the the game takes you to many different great locations. It's very colourful. You know, like you can play as multiple characters. Everyone plays like shit, but it it doesn't matter. It's just kind of the fuckery of it is is like the enduring fuckery of that game is what keeps you playing it. Whereas mm. I just can't see the appeal of playing as 
this creature as Smeagol. And a lot of reviewers, you listen to how they talk about sort of the way that his story is handled. It's not even really a story about him. He's just the vehicle for it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, Smeagol is such a, um, a deep character with so many sort of conflicting issues inside of him. And to not have been abs- explored in even the slightest is something that I just find baffling. I mean, what what were they thinking? I just don't know. Mm. Yeah. No good. So, yeah, unfortunately, we waited a long time on that one with bated breath. I didn't have high hopes for it, but shit, 35 is, that's not even a passable <laughs> score. So, no. anyway, Gollum, not so good. Probably not worth checking out until you can get it for free, free at some point. But, um, yeah, so that's Gollum. Uh, another couple of games in more positive light Street Fighter Six has just come out, as in, in the last week, came out on June the 2nd. And this thing. You talk about horrific Metacritic scores. Street Fighter Six is on the other end. It's currently sitting at a Metacritic score of 92 for the PS5, which on Metacritic, that's that's in must-play territory. Oh, fuck yeah. And when you're talking about games that have been released recently higher than 90, it's in the same sort of conversation as, you know, the latest Zelda game, God of War. Yeah, unbelievable. So IGN gave a 9 out of a 10 calling it amazing, saying... Street Fighter 6 is the most feature-rich a Street Fighter has ever been at launch. But even beyond that, its roster of 18 characters is excellent. The new mechanics revitalize the one-on-one fighting formula and it absolutely nails all the little things that make for a stellar fighting game. Who else we had? Games Radar gave it a 5 out of a 5. And they titled their um, their article, this is by Andy Hamilton, Street Fighter 6 Review, arguably the best overall fighting game package ever made. Street mm. Fighter 6 offers wow. the most flexible, versati- versatile, and expressive combat scene in the series to date. With its fantastic suite of game modes and a diverse character roster, Street Fighter 6 has something to offer every type of fighting game fan. So, wowee, Street Fighter 6. Yeah, I was listening to some some interviews uh, that uh, the official PlayStation podcast did with the uh, the director and producer for Street Fighter 6 and... and was interesting sort of hearing some of the features that they've got in there like you've got um like a a couple of different modes that you can run the controller in so you've got like your Mm. traditional mode where you've got to do all the all the sort of long-winded movements to to execute your special attacks but then there's also like a like a beginner's mode sort of thing where Mm. you know if you if you're playing as guile for example and you want to do his sonic boom instead of having to sort of rotate the joystick through a half circle and then push a button, you literally just push push left mm. and push a button yeah. and, and it lets it off. And so it, it reduces the sort of barriers to entry for yeah. people who perhaps aren't, um, aren't traditionally, you know, sort of yeah. skilled at playing fighting games like, like myself. Um, it gives you, gives you a little bit more yeah. uh, leeway to sort of jump in and, and do that. And, of course, you know... Street Fighter's got such a legendary roster of characters. Mm. I mean, um, you, you could almost say it's it's on par or, or better than what they offer in Mortal Kombat um, in many ways because um, so many of the characters are so recognisable from from Blanka with his you know sort of electrical charge attack and Chun Li and Zangief and E Honda and all, all of those characters. I mean, I I just I played that game Super Street Fighter Two Turbo mm. and Super Nintendo for, for like 
so many hours when I was younger. It's just like really good to see a, a new iteration of that that franchise come out to such rave reviews. I'm actually strongly considering picking this one up. Mm. It might be a slightly more family friendly fighting game to play than you know <laughs> play with the kids than than a Mortal Kombat yeah. game, for example. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Kudos to them. That it's a really interesting mechanic, the one you just described around the different button and how they sort of level the playing field is that if you use the simplified version, you don't do quite as much damage. So there's no real penalty for whichever way you'd like to go about doing it. So I just thought that mm. was really cool as well. Um, and like you really said, clever, hey? yeah, they've taken a lot of the classic characters and sort of revamped the look of them a mm. little bit as well. And and they've said you know they were paying particular attention to the fact that Street Fighter is very much like a big part of it is to do with street culture and hip hop and all that sort of that side of things. And so like they've, they've put in touches that sort of have that sort of hip hop sort of feel where when you do like a, a really huge strike on someone, you'll get this sort of burst of color that almost looks like sort of graffiti or something. And it, and you know, it's sort of, yeah, I guess it, it sort of oozes that street culture vibe and that feel. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really keen to have a look at this, and what I've seen of it so far, like the game looks like it runs just beautifully, like it looks amazing. Yeah, I mean I play. It's a funny, bit. you know, because I, I played the demo for it, and I didn't care much for it, but I don't think the demo does it justice. You know, um, because I, I love Street Fighter. I used to love playing Street Fighter Four on Xbox um, at uh, my friend Bryce's house. He used to play it all the time, and his housemate used to get so upset when I'd beat him because I'd never played Street Fighter before <laughs> in my life. And when I'd beat him, he'd get really angry and throw his controls on the floor. It made me laugh a lot. But it's just, there's something different about – Street Fighter offers a different class of fighter to what, you know, Mortal Kombat is. I think Mortal Kombat definitely has that sort of, um, you know, gratuitous gore – sort of thing going for it. Whereas Street Fighter, I think the style, as much as they can differentiate it from Mortal Kombat, the better, because I think it just adds something different and unique to it that keeps, for some reason, every every iteration of Street Fighter, you still, just like what you were talking about, Joel, you still get brought back to Street Fighter 2 and your mind just goes to that place and it's oddly nostalgic every time you play it, but it offers you something fresh, which what I think is really cool. What didn't you like about cool. the demo? I just, I don't know. I didn't like the kind of, I thought the story mode was a little bit blare. Um, I didn't really care much for the story mode and as far as the story was concerned. Um, and I felt that because I was kind of, I had to only play as my player character. I couldn't choose another a player. I felt I was kind of limited in experiencing what it had to offer, but I get that it was trying to show you the new things that it had to offer. Yeah. Um, like, you know, just walking up to anyone in the street, it's kind of comical. You just walk up to someone, you fight them, and people cheer you on just like it's normal. Just like that. Yeah, just like real life. But, you know, it's th- there is a certain charm to it, and I, I'm kind of excited to play it as well, but I just don't, I don't know if I would get the life out of it that it wants me to have. I don't know. Mm. Oh, that's oh. an interesting take on it. It would be, yeah, I'll be keen to see what, what some more people think of uh, of the Street Fighter 6 when, mm. when it gets a bit more widely sort of uh, played. So Yeah. I mean, what a, what a time for fighting games. I mean, I think last episode we were talking about Mortal Kombat 1. 
as in the reboot and just mm. how epic that trailer was and how everyone's super pumped for that one. And then, you know, and a couple of weeks later, Street Fighter Six comes out. So, bloody... New Tekken on the way as well. Yeah. So, yeah, fighting fans got a lot to look forward to. So, anyway, Street Fighter, well done. Mm. And I got one more. Yeah, okay. I know no one else gives a fuck, but I do. Diablo 4, it's out <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, fantastic. We're sitting on an 88 on Metacritic for PC uh, with IGN giving it a 10. So all things look good for Diablo 4. And I'll tell you what, I'm holding strong on my commitment of this year of not buying any video games. I haven't bought a game yet, but, man, this one's calling my name. Uh, we talked You've about it before. you got six months to go. I know. <laughs> I've played, I played 12 hours of the beta and I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm just, I just, yeah. Sorry, I have to bring down the house here, Ferg. Yeah, uh, yeah. IGN gave it a nine. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, mate. What did I so, say they gave? It's pretty good. It's not perfect, mate. No, no. I said they gave it a ten. Oh, oh did I? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, <clears throat> mistaken. It was a nine. I'm gonna pick every that, hole I already, can in this shithole of a game. Has it already come out on something well, yet? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Emotional yeah, damage. It's amazing, apparently. No. Yeah, I love it better. <laughs> so it's it's out tomorrow, but if you had a pre-order, um, I think it's been the last three or four days. If you'd pre-ordered it, you could oh, get a head start. It, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I want to play this game, but I haven't bought it as of yet. Mm. So anyway. You can't. Not allowed to. Just wink, mm. wink and nudge, nudge and say, Fiona, get me this game because I don't want to, I don't want to break <laughs> my New Year's thing. That's it. I'll work <laughs> That's what you got to do. <laughs> Trust me, it'll work, man. Just do it. That's it. <laughs> I'll give it a go. All right. Anyway, there's some review roundups for everyone. Thanks for that, Ferg. Now, next we have uh, Steely with uh, a bit of news about oh, a bunch of different things. So take it away, Steely. Yeah. Can I just say, Ferg, I fucking love that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry for getting shitty at Diablo 4. I understand <laughs> you like it. It's just not for me. And I should probably be less of an asshole about it, but I won't because I don't like Blizzard. But I love you anyway. <laughs> that's all I want so, to say. Um, good, <laughs> have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Get this, everyone. The development team, far, far behind Redfall, have spoken up about the state of this blood-sucking fuckfest of a game in a report <laughs> by Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. Arcane didn't even want to make this shitty game. Get this. Um, despite it being Put Hamilton's Game of the Year, Arcane <laughs> really, really didn't want to make a multiplayer title and lost lots of employees in the process. And their last hope was some potential support from Microsoft when they acquired some fucking company um, who basically said to them, do your thing, motherfuckers. And um, then, you know, got out their apology notepad and started writing the notes. So there you go, everyone. Not even Arcane Studios wanted to make Redfall. So well done to that wonderful piece of media that came out this year. <laughs> Yum. Nice. Um, next up. <laughs> <laughs> next up, um, Yuji Naka, who, let's face it, is only as good as your last thing that he did, which was Baland, Baland Wonderfuck. Um, sorry, Wonderland, Wonderworld, or whatever it's called, <laughs> Balan Wonderworld, or as most of us know um, him as one of the fathers of Sonic the Hedgehog. He is a spin dashing to the big house, everyone, pleading guilty and apparently not giving a fuck. Um, so the reports say he showed no remorse um, that Naka will be fined at least $1 million and behind bars for two years for taking part in insider trading 
during his time at Square Enix. Arguably mm. the worst decision of his career working at Square Dick Lips. Um, <laughs> wow. So there you go. Steely's called it that working at Square Enix is worse than going to the big house. Yeah, or Square Dick Lips, as, he, as he's uh, now <laughs> yeah, called what? what did you call it? Dick Lips? Square Dick Lips. <laughs> I'd love to see somebody put that into like an AI art generator and see what comes up. That would just make my everything. Mm. Um, just make sure you're... Next uh, up, everyone. You've got the not safe for work filter enabled for that one. Oh, well, I'm not going to be doing that at work. <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> Anyway, so uh, blinking, you missed this next story. Um, everybody, one, two, switch got announced this week with a truckload of new information about the title. So strap yourselves in. Mm. Here's everything we learned about everybody, one, two, switch. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to come. Here we go. <laughs> I'm not holding back. Here we go. It's coming out June 30. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's not far now, away. I say this. <laughs> I say this, but judging by the post on Twitter three days ago, we can faintly see the word quiz and bingo, suggesting that there will be something of a like a bingo in there um, and something different, like a bit of a quiz like this. So it might be a little bit kind of like Buzz, if anybody remembers Buzz, mm. a game oh, that um, what a, what I, an absolute classic. we've just spent so much fucking time playing. This so good. Used to love um, so Buzz. hopefully there mm. is some... Yeah, hopefully there is something like a nice quiz in there that plays sort of similarly to Buzz because we are now getting some smartphone functionality with this game, unlike the first game. So um, no doubt that'll be something that plays a part in it. Um, also, it looks like uh, for no apparent reason, the host is a horse um, mm, wow. that looks like some kind of animatronic sex doll. 100%. Yeah. I mean, go to that photo right now everyone in the room apart mm. from Casey because she's right here next to me and mm. tell me that that fucking horse doesn't look like it's about to suck a dick Stop straight it. up what I haven't even seen this what is it he's just like no nah, put it in me am I right oh my goodness did you guys play the first one <clears throat> yes yeah we was got the... it with the switch didn't we yeah yeah was the first one any good look it's weird I think it Look, it was fun. I think we had a lot of fun with it, but the novelty wears off very yeah. quickly. So hopefully with something like this, I mean, you play the mini games maybe once or twice and you're like, yeah, I'm done with that. And then there's mm. some of them that are just not fun at all. <clears throat> so hopefully there's a, a bit of a, you know, th hopefully there's something different. Don't you think? He does, doesn't he? It looks like he's about, he's going, come on, it's come really in me now. Simon, that's so disgusting. Use the haptic feedback in the Joy-Con to simulate a hand job. That's, nice. that's what it's doing. But anyway. I mean, I, I looked up this game. I thought I was watching the new game, but I must have been watching the old one. Um, I mean, yeah. it looks kind of interesting, some of the use of the Joy-Cons, but like you said, I can imagine it getting very old very, very quick. And there was some weird stuff mm. like... Did the first one have like like cow milking, um, like yeah. shaving your face, it's like simulating shaving yeah. your beard? And there was important, another the important one life skills. Yeah, was it the soda shake, which looked yeah, it's <laughs> like the shake weight. Yeah, pretty much. 
Yeah. You just got to shake it and hope that it doesn't burst. Yeah. Yeah. Masturbation <laughs> Simulator 2016. Well, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, that's what it looked like. And mm. there, there was this weird prompt in the gameplay I said, which said, look, in, look into the other people's eyes while you're doing it kind of thing. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Mm. Is this not a no, kid? I, yeah. I can imagine it's maybe more tailored to the adults and the bit of a party game and yeah. get on the cans and milk a cow and you know mm. do the soda shake <laughs> with your mates and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I think it really, really is. And I think that this next one is uh, hopefully, I mean, we know nothing about it. They just put a fucking a Twitter post of a dick sucking horse on there. <laughs> oh. And and so it's like, we know nothing about this game except for the fact that there's phone functionality. The word quiz comes up somewhere. So hopefully there's some form of quiz and, you know, everybody's got a Joy-Con or a phone. So, mm. I don't know. It, hopefully, it is a step in the right direction, but we'll just have to wait and see mm. um, at the end of the day. Jesus. Now, last but not least, well, sort of, um, uh, MetaQuest 3 was announced this week, and I couldn't care less about it because I think Meta is a company um, that is just one big fuckboy. So, um, Emotional damage! At the end of the day. Um mm. And I just want to touch on the PlayStation Showcase and, and just talk about it with everyone just briefly. A lot of stuff announced at this fucking thing. It went forever, mm. um, which was amazing. I love it when things go forever because it means they're going to show lots of stuff. Um, uh, in in the you know in the case of a Nintendo Direct, if it goes forever though, they're just basically going to be lots of people talking about showing lots of stuff and nothing much important getting shown. So, because mm. um, I've been let down by a lot of those in my lifetime. So anyway, a um, couple of my picks from the PlayStation Showcase. Um, first of all, Phantom Blade Zero. This looks mm. like a fast-paced fucking sword, bloody fast Dark Souls looking thing. It looks really mm. kind of exciting and quick um, and uh, really, really cool. It looks like a really nice, fun, big adventure. Um, and then... I really liked the look of Helldivers 2. Now, if anyone's mm. played Helldivers 1, this is very similar. Helldivers 1 was, to me, very similar to Diablo, but with friends. So it's basically you have four people that land on a planet, um, or up to four people, I think, and you basically run around this friendly fire, though, so you can kill each other, which is quite hilarious at times, and then you have to use your resources to respawn each other back in at certain different times, and um, you basically have to go and liberate alien planets, which is basically just kill everything on it that you can and and claim it as your own planet. It's a huge departure from the original. So it's, a, it's now a third person action game, which I think is a really great step in a good direction. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, and I, I look forward to playing it, hopefully with the DG crew, because mm. you're my number ones, mm. all of you. Wow. So um, it's uh, nice to know we're, we're, play it together. we're your number one. <laughs> Yeah, oh, a whole lot of yeah. Um, anyway, um, Sword of the Sea. This is basically an adventure skateboarding game from the people that made Journey. Looks very, 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 very cool. Lots of great artistic work in this game, which makes it froth worthy. So hopefully that is a good game because I'm excited for it. Fair Games. Um, this is like a high style game that seems like a cool premise, but there was no gameplay. So for all we know, it could just be another Redfall uh, waiting to happen. Mm. Who knows? Um, fair games, everyone. Uh, and then Plucky Squire got a new trailer as well. Mm -hmm. This looks amazing. 
Can't mm. wait. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. yeah, if you've opened your eyes halfway through the week, you would have seen this with my sweetheart. <laughs> anyway, so... Excuse nice. me, we've been very sick. Yeah, but yes, even when you're sick, there's still time to watch a, a Sony showcase and see Plucky Squire there. Um, just amazing. Can't wait for this game. Oh, Anyone man. that hasn't seen the trailer, go and watch it um, at your leisure. Um, yeah, very look, high hopes for that one. Yeah. Um, and Australian yeah. developer, if we're not mistaken. I think so, yeah. Really? I think so. Haven't we yeah, talked I about reckon? this? Yeah, I, I didn't know that that was an Australian developer. JB's going to fact check me... it, but I remember Casey brought this one to our attention last year, a long time ago when it first yeah, sort of reared yeah. its head. Just... And for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's got this amazing art style and it's sort of a mashup between a 2D and a 3D game. And you'll see yeah. in the trailer that it, you sort of, it shows the person playing in a 2D plane. And then the character sort of steps off of that and then is in a 3D environment. And I I mean, I haven't seen anything like that before and it just looks incredible. So I think we're all pretty fired up you for that one. You know what's funny? I was actually up. thinking about this game today. I was like, yeah. I wonder what happened to that game. And <laughs> I didn't it even just realize looks like that they so much inspiration from Zelda. I mean, especially uh, Zelda A Link Between Worlds where you can... In that game, you can kind of plaster yourself into the wall and move around in it, like yeah, in a two D okay. space. But yeah. this looks like it just takes you to a whole new level, where it's seamlessly in and out from certain situations to to traverse the world. I'm just so excited for it. Um, now, uh, marathon. This is mm. this was a purely a cinematic trailer, but um, nonetheless, looks really cool. It has like some heavy electronica, Daft Punk inspired music behind it, which kind of Got my dick hard. But apart mm. from that, it was just like, and I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. And then, um, look, nice style. Hopefully some bungee magic in there. Um, you know, obviously bungee bringing us Ferg's favorite games of all time, mm. the Halo, um, you know, Combat Evolved and 2 and 3, um, mm. but also uh, Destiny mm. and Destiny 2. So who knows? Might be good. Might be terrible. But it nonetheless looks cool at the moment, so I'm excited for that. Um, Spider-Man 2 looks really good. Um, mm. I didn't like Spider-Man 1 that much, but it actually makes me want to finish the story of Spider-Man 1 and Miles Morales so I can play Spider-Man 2. It looks so good. Um, so just, just the way that Insomniac handles um, all of the action sequences in these games is just mind-blowing. I love it. They are just masters of it, seamlessly weaving into gameplay. They do it very well, and I'm I'm kind of pumped for it. And then i got um, one more thing before I let you guys all sound off on things that you, maybe you liked. Mm. Um, this is not necessarily something that I liked, but it's Assassin's Creed Mirage, everyone. It just <laughs> looks like mm. Assassin's Creed 1 remastered. I don't see the fucking point to this game. Mm. Um, so and it was again it was it was kind of like gameplay but it wasn't it was a cinematic ga- a trailer of gameplay footage so is it going to be good I don't know shove it up me and mm. we'll find out I guess when it comes out when it gets reviewed because God knows I might not end up playing it mm. probably not yeah <clears throat> I mean that's an interesting one still I'll run through some of my favorites from the showcase I'll start with Assassin's mm. Creed I mean I, I looked at that and I mean, it's an interesting one, right? So we've talked about Valhalla and some of these new games and about how they've gone into this RPG and it's really bloated and the world's Mm. full of nothing and 
yeah, they need to get back to their roots and they need to scale it back. And, and that's what Mirage is. But then having watched that, I'm just looking at it and I had the exact same train of thought as you, Steely. I was just like, oh, it just looks like Assassin's Creed 1, 2, or 3. And so yeah. now I don't know what to think at this point. It's sort of like you want them to get back to what they do really well, but then I've seen it and now I'm like, well, it doesn't look like they're doing anything different. So I'm sort of conflicted yeah. between is this actually what I want? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um I watched I thought it looked cool, but I just was sort of like, oh, it doesn't really look they're not showing us anything other than sort of what they've done before. So I don't know, we'll just have to wait and see how that one looks when it comes out. But yeah, I didn't know yeah. what to make of that or how to feel of it. Um Hell Drivers two, you mentioned before. Didn't play the first one, don't know anything about the franchise, but I want to give those guys massive kudos on their trailer. I just thought that was awesome. I got massive Starship mm. Trooper vibes. Oh, absolutely. And I really loved how they... It was just a really cool way of showing off a game. It was like a recruitment video where there was like the dude who yeah. was like, come and join the forces. We're going to do this. And then it would cut to some gameplay and then it would go back to him and he'd say, these are the things you get to do and it would show you some more. I just thought that was so good and such really well done. Um, really impressed. So, yeah, that one definitely piqued my interest. I thought the, the trailer was fantastic. Um, what else do we have? Uh, Alan Wake 2 they showed us as well. And <coughs> I don't yes. know if you guys have played the original. Fantastic game. But this second one looks horrifically scary. It looks like they're mm. really going down that horror path. Um, which has got me a bit nervous because I was kind of interested to play it. Now I'm not too sure whether I'm, um, yeah, brave enough to. But that, it looked pretty good, but it just looked horrifically, looked like a horror. Whenever you see people sort of slow walking with a gun and a light held up, like Resident Evil style, and you're just waiting for something mm. to just jump out at you, yeah, those jump scares, they get me every time. But it, it looked good, so yeah. we'll, we'll see what that's like when it comes out. Um, another couple of shout-outs. We had, I put it out on our Instagram I think last week just to see what everyone else had to think and there was a lot of love come in for metal gear solid 3 remake so it was interesting mm-hmm. here a lot of people are really excited about that and um i think is it the first two and three getting chucked in a bundle or something i can't remember yeah. maybe it's the first one yeah. so i think it is the first three getting chucked in a bundle yeah yeah so that's cool for you know people who might not have ever played the games is to you know, go back to the originals in a remake and in a bundle, which obviously represents really good value. So a lot of love for uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 and um, 1 and 2. And also um, another game I haven't not familiar with, but Dragon's Dogma 2 was getting a bit of love, which looked really cool. It looked, it was giving me vibes of Elden Ring versus Skyrim. It sort of looked like a bit of a, a Dark Soul-y type game, but there was just a lot going on and that game looked really interesting as well. So mm-hmm. what about you, JB? Do you have some highlights from the show? Anything um, stick out? The uh, is it Phantom Blade Zero? Was that the the name? Yeah, yeah. I mm. mean that one looked like the, the highlight of the show for me. Um, that one that one looks looks amazing. I've got pretty big hopes for for where that title's going to go. But yeah, that and um, definitely the Plucky Squire mm. as well. Which um, yeah, even last time we spoke about it, where we saw significantly less uh, gameplay than what we saw this time round. Um, that looked quite amazing uh, back then, and you know should be a good, um, you know, sort of indie family sort of title. And and just to close out our previous discussion, yes, uh, the developer of the Plucky Squire, All Possible Futures, uh, operates out of both London, UK for art, and Brisbane, Australia for design and code. Nice, Brisbane. So, uh, oh, fuck yeah, yeah, Aussies yeah, cool. represent. 
Um, loving that. What about you, Casey? Any particular highlights from the showcase? Yeah, Plucky Squire. Mm. Yeah, it's the only one that she found out about just now. <laughs> Hell, and I really, I really like look at Hell Divers too, mm. as well. And yeah, yeah the two, yeah, two, <laughs> two and two. Yeah. yeah, I think that looks really fun because we had a really good time with the first game. Yeah, we and had a lot just, of fun with the first game. Yeah, this just like I was saying in the chat. I really hope it's cross-play so Simon can nick off to the PC while I play on the mm. PlayStation. I think that'll be really fun. So I think it will be. You know, it, it is a game that is more fun with friends because it can get really frantic. And if it's yeah. the same sort of, you know, premise as the first one where anyone's game, you know, like if you shoot your mate, it's too bad. I remember just having a lot of laughs playing that game with Casey mm. and with uh, a friend of Casey's from her old work, Chris Nenke, who got us onto the game in the first place. That's um, right. So without a doubt, I, I think that this will be a real winner and it'll be a really good one for us all to play together. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, mm. Yeah. I'll keep an eye out for it. Absolutely. What about the, the last mm. one I saw, I forgot to mention, did you, because, you know, I love a good pun. Did you guys see the video for Cat Quest Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, <laughs> that one slipped through the cracks. Yeah, it was narrated by Matt Berry, and it was like a minute and a half of just cat puns. What appears to be this cute little, I don't know, cat indie game, which I just laughed the whole way through. Matt Berry did a really good job there. Um, that one's coming out I in twenty twenty four. Didn't you know that? I feel really bad that I skipped through that because I oh, didn't did give a fuck about the game, <laughs> and I want to go back and watch it now because I Matt Berry is one of my favourites. Oh, the puns! Go for time. the puns. Stay for the puns. I mean, the game looks fine, but the puns sort of had yeah. me through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, nice one. All right, well now now it's time for uh, our new segment, Malware of the Week. It's Malware of the Week. And uh, this week, uh, the Malware of the Week fell to myself to uh, to go and scrape the bottom of the barrel. And, and, you know, the Nintendo Switch is such a such an easy barrel to scrape for, uh, for the, <laughs> uh, the scum of the gaming universe. And... Uh, I was not disappointed. I, I dug through the depths of the uh, Nintendo Switch store and I came upon a title called Need for Drive. Now... <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, straight off the bat, right, the publisher of this shameless Need for Speed ripoff, VG Games, uh, couldn't even be bothered to give the game a grammatically correct title. Mm. Uh you know, need to drive or need for greed or, or something else would have been acceptable, but need for drive doesn't even doesn't even make sense. So uh, as soon as I saw that, I thought, right, yep, yeah, we, we're onto something here. So uh, the game appears to have been developed by a crew of people who forgot that console development continued past the Nintendo 64 and produced something which could easily have run on the N64 hardware. Uh, the environments are extremely generic and are anti-aliased to such an extent you would swear you were back in 1997. Um, now, obviously, uh, the title gives it away. Need for Drive is a racing game. 
Um, <laughs> and in the description of the game written by the developer on the uh, Switch store, it says, quote, you will need to accelerate your car to the maximum speed and shift gears at the right moment to beat your opponent. Oh, yeah? How you <laughs> um, so, as opposed to other racing games <laughs> where you don't need to accelerate to the maximum speed, I was quite baffled by that particular statement. Um, at times while I was playing it, it appeared to be uh, running at an eye-blistering 10 frames per second uh, at least. Uh, and, uh, boy, was the uh, did the Switch look like it was labouring? Um, it... Uh, <laughs> If you took a fun title like Gran Turismo 7 or Need for Speed Underground and stripped out everything that made the game visually appearing, or visually appealing or fun, you might be left with a product slightly superior to Need for Drive. Um, there are a selection of different vehicles the player can purchase with race winnings, which, you know, the winning each race, start you start around the $5,000 mark and I think the cheapest car is around $30,000. Uh, however, I doubt anyone has wasted their time earning enough money to unlock even the first new vehicle in this uh, appalling title. Uh, new vehicles are, are likely only cosmetic without any real improvements in performance. Um, the fact that a console capable of running Tears of the Kingdom somehow struggles to run this is as confusing as it is shameful. <laughs> Um, its only redeeming quality is that it crashes less often than Redfall. Uh, I give it one out of ten discerning gamers, and may God have mercy on its soul. So, uh, wow! I mean, the name Set of the it game. On fire. Yeah. Yes. Launch that one to the sun. <clears throat> it definitely needs to be launched uh, into every sun. Who who did you say the developer was? JB. Uh, VG Games. Um, yeah. Interesting, because there's a need for drive open world multiplayer racing on Steam, and I thought it may have been the same game, but it sounds no, like it's a completely different ripoff. It is a completely different game, and seems to have actually got some sort of rating on Metacritic, unlike Need for Drive <laughs> on Nintendo Switch, which uh, is oh, so. I appalling. thought I seen this. That I, I just looked up some some gameplay, and I was like, "Is that the game? No, no." So Need for Drive. There's two different Need for Drives. Mm. <coughs> and no yes, way. the Need for Drive that I played, um, I bought it for about $1.50 uh, on sale and somehow still feel like I didn't get value for money there. You should have uh, reviewed the PC edition of Need for Drive. That's uh, currently on sale for 90% off for 59 cents. Could have saved yourself a buck. <laughs> well, there you fucking go. But that I doubt I doubt that the PC game was as bad as the uh, version on Nintendo Switch. Um, I definitely don't recommend that anybody, uh, either in the DG crew or any of our listeners, go and play Need for Drive. Um, it is appalling. <laughs> uh, there's no other word for it, really. So it's malware. Uh, it, is. it is malware. It's uh, malware. It's malware of the week. Of the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a malware of the week. Wow. This soundbite goes a long time when you... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just accelerate and go fast. Just go the fastest that you possibly can. <laughs> to win. To win. 
Yep, just accelerate your car to the maximum speed and shift gears at the right moment to beat your opponent. Wow. Maybe that's where I went wrong. Maybe I didn't do that enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, moving on from uh, Malware of the Week, uh, next is our uh, novelty segment for the week. So uh, here we fucking go. housing <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'd fucking love some of that yeah uh, so this week um, our uh, our topic for for our novelty segment is favorite game cinematic um, of all time and uh, we've we've I think we've covered something similar to this in the past so I mean I've I've tried to come up with something a little bit different to last time um, but uh, Keen to hear what everyone else uh, has to kick off with. So, Simo, how would you like to go first, mate? Oh, I'd love that honour. Um, I'd love it so much because I love it as much as I love the honour of the samurai because I love... Oh, this is a long-winded way to say this. I love the opening cinematic slash gameplay <laughs> Ghost of Tsushima. That's <laughs> right. It's- Sorry, I went early. <laughs> uh, that's a common occurrence for you, isn't it, mate? Uh, yes, it certainly is, mate. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Me too. Anyway, um, so uh, Ghost of Tsushima. So anyone that's played this game knows that the opening of this game is just absolutely fantastic. The mood, um, the characters, the way that the story begins and plays out. Um, so first of all, we get this kind of, this look of, uh, some flags in Tsushima, Japan. It tells us in Tsushima and then you see, um, Jin Sakai and, uh, his uncle basically cruising down on horses out to the front of where they're about to take on the, the Mongols for their last, yeah, on horses. Nice one. Hold it. Um, for their very last sort of hurrah into trying to defeat the Mongols or at least to hold back the invasion. And then they send this... I just love this bit of this cutscene where they send their best warrior to go down and, and to try and like intimidate them. And he goes down there and he's like, my name is such and such. I'm... I'm nice sword strike, JB. Uh, That's all right. It was, yeah. it was almost... Perfect. Um, anyway, um, he goes down there to to basically tell them, I'm such and such. I'm the, the grandson of the great warrior such and such. And um, he's like, send me your best warrior or something. And the Mongol boss comes out with like a cup of wine or something, throws it on him, sets him on fire, and then cuts off his head. And it just <laughs> is just like it shows you the brutality of these people. And from there, it's like they just kind of go down into this massive battle. And, you know, that then transitions into you riding your horse down the hill and slicing up people. And then you get sort of hit by, um, you know, one of their sort of bomb-looking things and you blow up and you're, you're on the ground. You're going to hop up and go and help fight. And um, you're not going to stop, are you? Be <laughs> lots of swords. 
Sorry, I'm just trying just to. Lots of swords. Yeah, well, like, you, you know, you got to set the mood. You know. Sound. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was a good blood. one. Um, and then I love the way that this whole thing ends with, you know, obviously uh, Jin Sakai getting shot with arrows to the back and you kind of think that he's about to die. And then, um, you know, the uncle, I can't remember his name, uh, he's basically sitting there with the Mongol boss and he's, the Mongol boss comes up to him and he's like, you know, you fought lots of battles and you've done pretty well, but, you know... I, I've been studying your way of life and I, I even learnt your language. Like I've done a hell of a lot more research than you have, bucko. And he goes, do you surrender? And he just sits there pretty stone-faced. Now, anyone that's played the game knows that he doesn't die, but um, you think that he does. And then the next clip, which is one of my favourites, is just Jin Sakai's sword standing up straight into the air and he hops up off the ground and grabs the sword, and then we're, we're playing Ghost of Tsushima, and I'm just like, wow, this this game is just a fucking masterpiece, and what a great way to open it as well. Mm. It was just an iconic opening to a beautiful game. So there you go, everyone. Yeah, <clears throat> mm. here. I, I just, I mean, I haven't played this game, and off the back of this discussion, I went and looked up and watched it, and it's just an amazing way to start a game. Like, just that scene of, you know, the guy basically gets burnt alive and then you're just thrust into the action like you're just tearing down this hill and the arrows are flying around and you just like like you get the shock value of what just unhappens and then you just get thrown straight into the action and then all of a sudden you're just in mm. this massive like battle and it's like fuck now I'm bloody yeah I'm in it mm. I'm living it it's just it's so good when yeah. the cutscenes sort of merge the two like so many times you'll see a cutscene and then you get like a bit of a black screen and then you start whatever's going on where this is just like, just chucks you straight in the deep end. And in the first, what, few minutes of the game? Right. Yeah. Sensational. Yeah. French, what did I say Absolutely the other week? French French kiss. Mm. Mm. Oh, French kiss. We've been putting that all week, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. A new saying. Yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, thanks for that, uh, Simo. And next we've got uh, C-Mac. What, what yes. is your favourite game cinematic of all time? Oh, of all time? No, this is just something I like. <laughs> I don't have a brain that can last that long. Um, <laughs> so I don't, oh, now I'm just like, oh, am I going to give away? No, I won't give away. No, just say it. Fuck. Hell. From The Last of Us 2. Did you finish it, JB? I I haven't finished it, but Ooh. I know one of you the you would have seen this bit. One of the the favourite cinematics that comes up for Last of Us Two is the uh, scene where uh, Ellie kisses her, her friend, um, and I kind of I kind of feel like that's where C Mac's going. Oh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if that's where C Mac was going with it, but uh, no, I kind of feel like. Um, uh, I don't know. That's, it kind of feels a bit pervy. People saying, "Oh yeah, that that's my favourite scene when Ellie's kissing the other girl and all that." I don't know. It's just like, like when the girls hook up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, no, no, not, that's not the, that's not the one I, I, I remember. Just gonna say, um, no, mine was <laughs> one of the memories 
of when Joel takes Ellie to the museum for her birthday for a surprise. Now, ah, yes, I do remember that yeah. one. Uh, oops, yes, you do. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do the cums flap for that one. That was, uh... yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah that. <laughs> so yeah, it pretty much this, this, it, it's very similar to what Ferg was saying before. It's very seamless the way the gameplay sort of interlopes with the cinematics with this because I was watching it before and I was like wow I don't remember it being this long but yeah there's one particular part so pretty much Joel that they're not really on huge speaking terms Ellie and Joel at the beginning and he has he has a surprise for her and he takes her to the Wyoming Museum obviously it's completely abandoned and all of that but they sort of it's just a really lovely part of the game where they're just it's just them two and they're just there's no bad guys no zombies nothing it's just mm. really lovely part of the game he just he you know and he he obviously goes to a lot of effort to find this place and to, to sort this all out for her because all she wants to do is go to the moon and be i don't know an astronaut or just go go to space and there's a part of the museum which is my favorite part she's it's, it's the space section of the museum and she just freaks out she's like no fucking way and he's like oh no have i done the wrong thing and she's like no this is this is amazing and then he takes her into the um must have to be a simulator of a of a um what's the simulator like a spaceship simulator, I think it's just like a much. like a replica of the Apollo 11 a capsule um, yeah, yeah yeah that's right yeah and she wears one of the um helmets uh, like oh my god my brain what, yeah brain. like the the astronaut helmet, helmet suit helmet yeah um, the astronaut yeah. suit helmet thing <laughs> And they're just laying together in this pod and she like, and then he just brings out and it's just a really lovely moment where he just says, oh, it took a, took a lot to get this for you. And it's a little cassette tape and she puts it in a little Walkman and clo- and he says, oh, close your eyes. And she closes her eyes and it's just a recording of the, yeah, the Apollo 11, mm. um, like just of one of the astronauts counting down, you know, going into space and all of that. And she just close and you can just see her what she's seeing in her mind sort of mm. she feels like the ship's moving and all of it. it's just really lovely and then she's pretty overwhelmed and you know she kind of snaps out of it and opens her eyes and Joel's like did I do good and she's like yeah you did I don't know it's really lovely because he's not obviously a really touchy feely lovey dovey guy but you mm. can just see in that moment how much after everything they've been through and even if they're not really on great terms yeah it was just really lovely and it's just a I just yeah you need to play it because I'm not gonna give any more away. It just makes it even more mm. hard to watch as well when <clears throat> you know what happens and stuff. So yeah, it's um that's probably one of my favorite bits from that game and from a cinematic that I can remember. Mm. Mm. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I think that the game does a very good job and what I really loved about the TV show was just the pacing. Of you know, not all action, not all zombies, not all this, but really f- honing in onto the you know the human aspect of things and relationships. Right. Like I think it's the and third. you know in the fir- you know in the um, TV show as well. I think she mm. mentions about wanting to go to space. Like yeah. there's a whole bit about it, and I don't know if that's in the game or not. That she even mentions that she wants to go to space. But I just remember when I saw that because it's been so long since we played the first game. But I remember when we saw that bit and heard that bit in the TV show. Simon and I just looked at each other and went. <gasps> Oh, it's like that bit in the set. Like it's like that yeah. that t- bit where Joel takes it to the museum in the second game. Like, oh my god, I wonder mm. if they've you know put that in the TV show because of what the second game. So, mm. yeah, I, I thought that was great. 
Well, the TV show yeah. just allows you to do a bit more world building around That's those right. characters, and I suppose if they're not going to add anything to the the law that's already established in the the video game then <clears throat> there's not not a lot of uh, point in doing mm. a tv show that's sort of really meant to sort of uh, mm. dig a little bit deeper than um than previously so yeah for sure i'm really yeah. keen to see that scene in the tv show i think it's going to be Mm. phenomenal i can't wait i think it's because yeah. it, when i was watching it just on youtube before the the video game one i was like wow this it looks so realistic and it was just mm. really and i can I, I could just see like bella ramsey and pedro pascal doing that scene i could it was really bizarre but when i was watching it i was like this is going to be epic and it's going to be great so especially yeah. pedro pascal's ability to do anything um, well yeah but to, <laughs> to appear so desperate to please as well in in like the even the sort of the last few episodes of the last or so the last episode you know he's wanting to to be a part of her life eventually and wanting to gain her approval of things and and to be her father figure you can see how much it means to him and so i think that he'll just he'll really elevate that to, yeah yeah it'll be really good Fantastic. Mm. All right, Ferg, what's what's your favourite game cinematic? Um, <clears throat> well, one of my favourites, I, I mean, you could pick any myriad of different cutscenes from the Halo, the Halo games, but one that always sticks out, which I think is pretty iconic, is from Halo 2, which I'm going to dub the, uh, the scene where Master Chief gives the Covenant back their bomb. Um, and it's just such an awesome cutscene. It starts off with... Basically, Cortana and Master Chief, they disabled what is, you know, essentially a nuclear bomb. And I, I can't remember why or how, but this bomb that ends up on one of the main UNSC ships. And from there, it just goes into this classic sort of, you know, lines of dialogue between Master Chief and who's the main general. And he sort of says, you know, permission to leave the station. And the general says, um, for what purpose, Mr. Ch- Master Chief? And he delivers one of the most iconic lines in Halo, and he says, "To give the Covenant back their bomb." And then the rest of the um, <laughs> the scene basically follows him, you know, dragging this spiky-looking bomb, you know, through the ship down the elevator, and then he sort of releases it, um, you know, out into space, and it's sort of him holding onto the bomb as it gets sucked out of the airlock, and it's just. An amazing scene where you get this wide shot of him just sort of gliding through space, holding onto this bomb, and around him there's all these explosions going off and planes flying around, and you get a nice big panning slow motion shot with the iconic Halo music, and you know then he he gets to the Covenant warship and he sort of arms the bomb and mm-hmm. he sort of kicks off, and you know like all cool guys everything's exploding in behind him while he's sort of sailing away through mm-hmm. space. And the scene ends with him sort of landing back on the UNSC ship and there's this big thud on the roof and everyone sort of looks to the sky and, you know, one of the sergeants makes some kind of quip like, for a brick, he flies pretty good. And mm. it's just, it just, I mean, everything <laughs> that makes the Halo game so good in the cutscenes, it's got it all. It's got like the iconic cinematic type, you know, wide shot, slow motion, explosions. But then it's got that classic Halo banter between Master Chief and Cortana and everyone else. And, yeah, I mean, overall, the Halo cutscenes in general are amazing. Like, if you just stitch them all together and watch them on YouTube, you might as well be watching a movie. They're done that well. Um, Great voice acting. Great, yeah. They're just amazing. And that one in particular always cracks me up about him, you know, leaving the the ship to go and give the Covenant back their bomb. It's 
iconic. And then you know, I when- have to say when I when I went and watched that cinematic when you put it into the um into the chat, Ferg, I was mm. kind of blown away by it. I yeah. was like, what the fuck? I mean, when did, when did that game even come out? Is I mean, obviously, did they up, upscale and, and remaster it for yeah, the think, anniversary edition? Yeah, or? the one I sent was the um, Master Chief Collection footage. But, yeah, I mean, Halo 2 came out yeah. on the original Xbox, early 2000s or something. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, just a really cool cutscene. I agree with you. It looked really good. Master Chief gets back inside and uh, walks up to the general and gives him a bit of... Uh, you son of a bitch! <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's heaps in this in the span of like two and a half minutes. There's so many quips. It's like when they stop the bomb from detonating, Master Chief to Cortana's like, "How much time do I have left?" And she's like, "You don't want to know." And then it's like he flies pretty good for a brick. And um, there's another one chucked in there as well. I'm trying to think what it is. I forgot when he, now, when he but... says this, "Who is your daddy, and what does he do?" <laughs> There's something along the lines of like, uh, you know, what happens if you miss as he's just about to jump out the door with the bomb and he says something something like, I'm not going to miss or, you know, is this really dangerous? I think Cortana says and no, he says, if you're scared, don't come with me or something. And she says something along the lines of, oh, I just, you know, I love dangerous situations or mm. something. There's just two minutes, just back and forth, all this little, yeah. these little quips. It's classic, classic finishes, Halo. Finishes it off with a bit of- uh... be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, Master Chief. Um, all right. Well, finally, uh, for uh, for mine, um, I really couldn't go past um, a game called Half-Life 1. Mm. So obviously uh, the first game developed by Valve uh, back in the day and uh, the cinematic in question is the the opening scene of the game where the main protagonist uh, of the game, Gordon Freeman, is being ferried inside the Black Mesa research facility and you you play as Gordon Freeman throughout the game and um, the whole cinematic is from... Gordon's perspective from inside like a tram car Mm. and you can move about inside the tram car and look around but you can't sort of interact with anything you've just got to go along with the for the ride and for a game that came out in 1998 only a year after Goldeneye 007 on N64 it was such an incredible step up um, from anything that had come before and allowed the player to get a really scenic look into the operation of the Black Mesa facility before you could even play any portion of the game. Mm. And it really and it, it was also the first time the player is introduced to the menacing G-Man, the enigmatic villain who appears throughout the Half-Life franchise going forward. So um, I just remember like seeing it as, as you're sort of going through and the, the tram car stops at all these different points along the way and these big steel doors sort of have mm. to sort of rotate and open up mm. and then you sort of continue on to the next bit and then there's like a section where these there's like these robotic like lift loader type machines almost reminiscent from um, the Aliens movies where they're sort of picking up like barrels and pallets and stuff and moving them about and at one point the tram has to stop and, and there's like a like a boom gate crossing there and you know like one of these machines sort of moves moves past you carrying something and then 
the gates close and then you can continue on. Mm. Like, I just remember sitting there watching this just like, what the fuck is this? Like, mm. it was just like you look at it today and by today's standard it's fairly tame, but at that time there was just nothing else out mm. that was like it. Like, you, you were trying to compare it to, to games like um, like Doom and Quake and stuff like that, which really didn't have much of a story. It was just like run and gun, like here's your rocket launcher, go and gun down as many enemies as you can and get to the get to the end door, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, Half-Life really changed the game in that regard. And so that uh, that cinematic has always sort of stuck with me over the years. Um, Such a good one, JB, because, yeah, I'm familiar with that one as well. <clears throat> and what it does a really good job of just... Like you're saying, when you're stopping and the doors are opening and it's not like a, just a normal door opening, everything is sort of on a scale that is nearly intimidating in a way. And you're mm. sort of going into this game just looking around and taking it all in and just being like, what am I getting myself into? Like you get this, yeah, this overarching sense of, yeah, you're nearly sort of intimidated by what's yet to come just on the scale that they sort of introduce into this game. And like you said, looking back now, it doesn't look like too much. But at the time, it was sort of this, yeah... Something, something else. So, well, you're just going deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Mm. Like, it's, it's almost like a mountain um, mm. that the facility is sort of built inside of, and you keep going deeper and deeper in. You're like, wow, you know, like how far down does this go? And it's not until like everything goes haywire and mm. you realise that now your job is to get out. Mm. You're like, fuck, mm. you know, I've got to go. I've got to get out all this way that that I came came down to get mm. out to the surface so I can escape. Um, and, yeah, I guess it really sort of sets the tone of how mammoth that task is going to be once, you know, you sort of get to the end of that tra tram ride mm. and then, you know, realise that you've got to go back all that way. So Epic. Yeah. You didn't, you never played that one, Steely? No, I never did play Half-Life. Um, I've lived half a life though up until this point. Um, so I don't know what else I can say about that. Um, you can just say, no, I haven't watched it. No, I haven't watched it. No, I haven't played it. I've heard a lot of things about it. Jason and um, dad played it. Um, isn't half life from the creators of Steam? Yep, that's what correct. Are uh, it's uh, yeah, made well, by by Valve, and I think Gabe Newell, the um, mm -hmm. the head of uh, Valve and Steam, uh, was was like the game director for for Half Life. So um, yeah, definitely a good one to go back and have there a look at if um, if you have an opportunity. They've remastered it a couple of times, I think. So um, yeah. yeah, are there any good sales in the game or? Oh yeah, for Half Life, any, absolutely. Any good sales in the game, like Steam sales. Yeah, yeah. Well, inside we've got... the game. <clears throat> no. no, no, Steely, not you not inside the asshole? game. I'm being. I'm. It was meant to be a joke. Oh. Obviously, it's, it fell on it, yeah. it fell on my dick. But, but <laughs> Half Life Two, um, yeah. just as an extension, is still an amazing game, even by today's standards. Like, um, that is mm. a fucking great game. Mm. And still has really like world class physics engine uh, going on inside that game. Just to take things in a completely different turn, the um the VR Half Life game which came out a few years ago is critically acclaimed. JB, I reckon you'd get right into that. I don't know how mm. you're going to play it because I don't think it's available on 
PS5, or maybe it is. I don't know. You're um, talking about Half-Life Alex. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I definitely want to play it, but, yeah, I'm waiting for a PlayStation version to become available. Yeah, okay, it's not on there. No, um, no it's not on there at the moment, but, uh, yeah, that would be uh, would be pretty good. Well, on that note, that's about all the time we have for this week on the Descending Gamer podcast. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank the DG crew, starting with Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Thank you, Fergus. Thanks, JB. Always a pleasure, mate. And Simon Steely McLaughlin. Thank you, Steely. Thank you, Joel. And thank you, everyone. It's great to be here. And I am saying words. Mm. <laughs> and last but not least, I'd like to thank Casey. Fucking hell. Pisty, the pissed. Thanks. Pistol Pissed. Yeah. Pistol Pissed. Uh, Pistol Who's having the stroke herself. here, Simon or JB? Very pissed. What'd you, oh, what you call me at the beginning of the show, Ferg? Master was... P. The Master P. Master P. Cool, that's a new one. Master P. Mm. Master uh, P. <laughs> Casey, C-Mac, <laughs> McLaughlin. Thank you, C-Mac. Yes. Pistol P. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, Many names. Uh, yeah, if pissed. you want to... Uh, <laughs> Tell us uh, your favourite gaming cinematic. You can reach out to us on the social medias and, uh, yeah, drop us a line. Love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. Yeah. I mean, we don't actually get to see any of you, but we talk to you and then, I don't know, maybe one day you'll see us and you'll say... Oh, that's that fuckhead from the Discerning Game of Podcast, Simon. I don't like him, but I like Ferg. And I like his wife, and I like Joel. <laughs>